0: Today we are continuing our Roots series where we are looking at some of the early episodes of the Hearing Jesus podcast and just revisiting some of them because the content is so rich and so many of you have not even heard those episodes. So today is the first of a two-part series that is going to be talking about allowing God to take the lead. And so we're going to be talking about the Tower of Babel. We'll do part one today, and then the next episode will be part two. I pray these episodes bless you. What I wanted to do today is to take a look at a story from Scripture, from Genesis, that I think speaks into and summarizes some of the things that we've been talking about over the last two months. And so today we're going to be doing a study on the Tower of Babel. I don't know if you're like me, I had heard this preached and taught over the years in church and really kind of took things at face value. But instead, this week, I really took some time to study and learn about the background and the theological issues that are kind of coming into play. And I think it's going to make some of the things that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks really make some sense. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. We're in Genesis 11, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 9. And so you can listen or read along if you like. I am reading out of... And I meet today. So again, I'm in Genesis chapter 11 and says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. I want you to pay attention to the part of the verse I just read. It said they wanted to make a name for themselves. So we're going to come back to that. Verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there, all over the earth and they stopped building the city that is why it is called babel because there the lord confused the language of the whole world from there the lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth so the way that i have normally heard this taught or how i've thought about it was really that they were attempting to get closer to god and god didn't like the fact that they were able to accomplish something And, you know, I hadn't given it too much thought, to be perfectly honest. I had never studied this. I hadn't done more than the casual, you know, read through when I'm reading through Genesis. But what I want to do is really spend some time looking at really what their sin was and why God responded the way that He did. In verse four, we hear that they want to make a name for themselves. And I want to look at this concept of what making a name means. In Genesis chapter one, when we see god in the creation story god is the one who names things god is the name giver and so we see that all the way through genesis we see that as god names things he creates the function of things in chapter two we see adam he is a name giver as well and god gives adam the job of naming animals Part of that is because Adam is made in God's image. And so he's carrying on God's work. We see Cain name the city after his son. In chapter four, there's a man named Shem. Shem actually means name. His name was Mr. Name. Shem was the ancestor of the Semites, the Shemite Semites. It's the same people group. And so we see this concept of naming throughout the beginning part of Genesis. And then we get to the Tower of Babel. In chapter 11, we have this story of the Tower of Babel. In chapter 12, we see God again as the name maker. He makes Abram's name great and renames him Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. And then later he renames Jacob to Israel. And then the book ends with the names of the sons of Israel that then become the 12 tribes of Israel. So naming is a key function of how God creates and purposes things. Naming is important. God is the one who makes a name. And that's really the beginning of the problem with Babel. The people there, and actually one of my professors, I did not know this, but he said this was actually the start of the Babylonians, Babel, Babylonian, which seems to make sense. I just never knew that. But basically they're encroaching on God's prerogative. They're trying to do as people, what only God is supposed to be doing. So they're taking this initiative that is really reserved for God to determine and assign. And God is the name maker in Genesis. We see over and over, God names creation. He names humanity. He names the Shemites or the Semitic people. He names Abraham, makes his name great. And this Tower of Babel story really starts with this issue where it's a heart issue, where they are wanting to make a name for themselves. A little bit of background, and I don't know if you know this. I did not know this. Essentially, in this time frame, the kind of tower that they would be building, I just always pictured it, maybe it's like childhood children's church stories. I always pictured it kind of like the Tower of Pisa or something. Like they made it and then it was destroyed. It tipped over or something. I'm just super skinny and tall, something like that. But in reality, this was likely a ziggurat. And so if you could picture similar to ziggurats, you had pyramids. Pyramids, of course, are that triangular shape. A ziggurat is platforms that are decreasing in size as you go up. So almost like giant steps. And the ziggurats were the skyscrapers of the day. They were the big buildings, the biggest buildings that they had. Scholars believe that the Tower of Babel in form was a ziggurat. And in ancient Mesopotamia, which is the area that they're in, that's what they were building. Ziggurats were not just part of this culture, but some of the other pagan religions or some of the other religions of the time, there was ziggurats being built because that's what was seen as the largest buildings of the time. I think on this show notes or on my website, I will give a link to some of the pictures of the ziggurats, the ruins, and some sketches of what they were to look like if you want a visual. But basically, these were the skyscrapers of Mesopotamia. The ziggurats would have seven platforms, and I think that number seven is intentional. But these platforms, as they decreased in size, really kind of functioned as a staircase. The purpose of the staircase of a ziggurat is to connect heaven and earth. And so the top is in the heavens and the bottom is down on earth. And is really meant to be a portal, essentially, where the gods can come down. And it really just was a staircase for the the deity to to use. Scholars believe that the ziggurat that they were building, this tower was in the city of Ur. And if you look at the diagrams of the city of Irv, there was a temple complex in the center of the city. And so a ziggurat is built within a temple complex, kind of next to the temple. And so if you, in that culture, if you had a temple, you also had a ziggurat, or if you had a ziggurat, you also had the temple. They kind of function together. And so the purpose is to provide a way for the deity to go up and down easily to the temple. If you have a temple in ancient Mesopotamia, then you need a ziggurat. They just kind of go hand in hand. The other thing I thought was really interesting was I always picture this as a tower that people were climbing up inside to get to God. That's not it. And in fact, a ziggurat is solid. And if you look at a picture that I have included, I'll put it on my website or put it in the show notes, you can see a picture of just the earth that is inside the ruins. There are no rooms. You cannot go inside. It is filled with earth. It's solid. Really, it essentially supports this giant stairway. And so it's an artificial tower to support a stairway to really connect the heavens to the earth. The gateway to the heavens is is at the top and the temple is on the ground at the bottom. So as this separate structure, this would be the way for the gods to descend to earth. In the pictures that I'll show, there's also a modern day picture that part of the ziggurat has been restored. You can find them. This one is in modern-day Iraq. They used to hold, I believe, tourist tours, but nobody really goes as a tourist to Iraq anymore. But it's there. You can go see it. If you ever have an opportunity to see it, I think it's really worthwhile to go go see it. As far as function goes, the ziggurats, these these towers, were not seen as a way, just to clarify, for people to ascend to the heavens. No people are going up and down this thing. And I think that's the, the biggest misconception. That's how I always heard it taught or understood it, I guess, when I read it. But no people are going up and down this thing. People build it, but it's not built for themselves. It's not built for people. They build it for their deity. And it's for the deity to descend and ascend. So once it's finished and it's opened up for use and it's part of the temple complex, no human being set foot on it. Unless they're the high priest, the high priest can go on it, but regular human beings, this is not a case where they were just trying to climb up closer to God. That's not how it functioned. And so their sin is not that they're trying to get up to heaven. And I think in some ways, I either didn't understand that or it just wasn't clear, or I just, maybe I just assumed that I thought, well, that's dumb. Why would they want to climb all the way up to heaven? What are they going to do when they get to the top? Like I just didn't understand it, but that's not what's going on here. Since the ziggurat, was a bridge between heaven and earth for the gods to use. It was a place for the God to come down. And so we see in verse 5 that that actually does happen. God does come down. Yahweh comes down to see the city and the tower. There's other names given for the ziggurats. The Sumerian texts, they call them the temple of the foundation of heaven and earth. And another name would be a temple that links heaven and earth. And sometimes it was called the Temple of the Stairway to Heaven. That Maybe that's where uh, (laughs) Stairway to Heaven comes from. I'm not sure. But that's really essentially what these buildings were were made for. These towers were made for. Interestingly, in Genesis 28, actually, I'm going to go there real quick so I can read it. In Genesis 28, we also see the same word, the same concept of the ziggurat. Which is really interesting to me because, again, it's not how it's typically taught or typically understood, I guess. So Genesis 28, verse 12, let's see. It's talking about Jacob. When Jacob had his dream, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So think about that. We often teach this as Jacob's ladder and a giant ladder where angels were coming up and down. That's not what it was. It was a ziggurat. It was this platform style temple, that word that's used stairway. Sometimes it's transliterated as ladder. It's it's really this stairway ziggurat concept where the angels were the deity formation that was coming up and down the stairwell. So this concept of a ziggurat in this ancient Mesopotamian culture was really common. And it was something that they would not have had to explain to the original audience. They would have understood it. Again, in verse 17, we reference a ziggurat. It says, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And so it references that gate of heaven that would be at the top of the ziggurat. So I thought that was really interesting and helps you to kind of understand what the ziggurat would have meant in that culture. So with the Tower of Babel, the theology of the Tower of Babel, let's look at how this kind of all fits in. This tower really is representing humanity's attempt to walk with God. Okay, so their intention, I think, was good. Their initial intention was they wanted to seek after God. Okay, we're actually going to stop there for today and come back tomorrow so you can hear what this all means. Now that we have an understanding of what was actually happening, what a ziggurat was, how they use that in the ancient culture, come back tomorrow and we'll understand what those theological expectations and implications were. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and how it reveals your character and your nature to us. And Lord, even in this explanation of the ziggurat, we see our faulty character and nature as human beings and the way that we tend to jump the gun and try to figure things out and do them in our own will instead of your will. So God, I pray that even now as we are contemplating what this means in our own lives, as we are meditating on perhaps maybe some ziggurats that we've built in our own lives, God, will you convict us in the areas that we need convicting? And would you show us the areas that we need to surrender to you instead of trying to take control on our own? Lord, I thank you that you're a God of second chances and you long for us to be reconciled to you, for us to wake up and get it. So, Lord, I just pray for this revelation in the hearts and minds of my friends today. God, we thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, before we go, I want to just remind you of our partnership that we have with Compassion International. One of the things that we have decided to do is partner with them. The tithe of the show is going to Compassion. And if you're not familiar... Compassion is an orphan care organization that works all over the world that seeks to really help rise children on poverty in Jesus name. And so they do that through holistic care. So their spiritual care and education and physical care in so many things that children need to really thrive. It helps them understand that they are known, they are loved and they are protected. As part of our partnership, we are trying to get children sponsored so you can have this letter writing opportunity to pour into the lives of these kids that otherwise might not hear the words, I love you. They might not hear the words of the gospel. It's through the Compassion International Program that partners with us as sponsors that the kids are really learning about who Jesus is and how he longs to have this relationship with them. If you'd like to learn more, head to compassion.com forward slash hearing Jesus.